Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. Hey! What can I say? Just take my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Brian Shackman here, John Senecal, as always, episode 139 with Ray Fagnant. Um, this to me is sort of like the Willie Yon, Bobby Dickerson, Rico Bronia, like to be involved with people who are so either experienced at the game or have been around it for so long. Uh, he's currently the Northeast Regional Scout for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Ray, it's, it's great to have you on the program. Uh, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So, scouting still exists, just just so you know. I mean, I think people read or watch Moneyball, and they're like, well, what do they have to do? They're in there looking for Fabio, and it's all the numbers. And and so I think it'd be really interesting to start. Just tell us a little bit about your backstory as a, as a player, and then, and then how you became a scout, and then what you do today. And, of course, John, you interject with any follow-ups as you go. Well, long story short, which I can rarely do, I grew, up, I grew up in Western Mass, passionate about baseball. You know, it was my father's passion that he, you know, spread on to me. He was always the ideal Little League dad, if you will, was always very supportive. Never, ever had a negative word. He'd be there to throw BP to me, but just really uh, fostered my love for baseball. What did he do for work that allowed him to do that? He worked 60 hours a week at his own business. He wasn't a professional. He was not, player. no, he ran a, a, a TV repair shop that, you know, was in the family for 50, 60 years, but he found the time. He found the time to see my games and be around. And so I played at Holyoke Catholic High School, but I knew I always wanted to play professionally. You know, it's a dream, but that's what it was for me. But I was convicted and uh, was not highly recruited out of high school as a 140-pound catcher. Wait, you were con- convicted? No, conviction. Like I was convicted. Okay, in, I was in like, my, is yeah. this a part of the backstory yeah, I didn't yeah. read about? Okay, no, you, I was were, you knew what you wanted. What I wanted to do. Yep. So, uh, you but know, you I didn't just, go D one. You didn't. I didn't. I you know reached out to some schools. Yeah, I, I did pretty well in high school, but I reached out to some schools and you know Assumption College. Just uh, I I approached them, but it just seemed like a good fit. You know, my Legion coach was a real mentor to me in Chicopee and. I went and visited Assumption, and we st- literally set foot on campus. I told my dad, I said, this is it. And I went there, and the irony, you know, my freshman, my- And this fr- year, what what year are we talking about? I graduated high school in 82. So uh, I went to Assumption and um, loved the school, loved the coach, worked out well, and I just lifted a lot of weights, drank a lot of milk, and <laughs> turned out I had, had a pretty good career. And, um, you know, the draft was, you know, it's 20 rounds now, but it was really short back then. But um, I did not get drafted, but I knew, I knew I wanted to play. So I just kept going to trial camps, calling scouts. And then I was playing the, uh, I'd play in the Springfield Tri-County League and the Hartford Twilight League, just play as much as I could. And um, I ended up, you know, a scout from the Pirates, who had seen me a lot in college, but came to a game one day and, you know, I had a good game. And he said, hey, you know, we want to sign you. So it's ironic, you know, you play so much baseball. This scout that had seen me, and it's almost as though my career literally came down to one at-bat. And that one at-bat was against a pitcher I played against in Little League and high school and college. You knew him. I knew him. Didn't have a whole lot of success, success about him, against him, but did hit a ball that um, – 
I don't know, went 447 feet. That I do remember. <laughs> but hit a home run. You don't forget those. Did not. And every time we drive through Slum Meadow, I'm sure to go. No, well, you weren't you weren't a home run hitter. You're not a power hitter, though, are but, you? I hit 30 in college. You I hit, hit 30. So I, I'd say I was not a home run hitter other than I hit a lot of home runs Well, but, you in know, college. You know, so you had to recruit yourself yeah. to a D3 school. Two. D two, sorry, it doesn't really <laughs> like, exi- doesn't really exist anymore though. Right. Like, I mean, it's just I think a D one and D three, yeah. but oh, D two, and then you have a really good career there, and you have to recruit yourself yeah. to pro ball. Absolutely, you just you just wanted it that bad, but that's so different than like today. Like you literally were like barnstorming. You like you were just playing wherever you'd get a chance to go in the lineup, and then one day, luckily, somebody saw saw you. I feel like the lesson is I try to tell my kids, especially athletes, little things matter. It's how you back check. What do you do when you don't have the ball? Like, you had to be on all the time for that one random moment that mattered. Huge, huge. And it's, uh, like I say, I was, it, was, it was my passion. It was what I really want to do. So I was, you know, I was lucky. Signed with the Pirates. How much? Um, contract. I was a non-drafted free agent. So I signed for a contract. He gave me a hat. Bob Whalen, God rest his soul. He signed me. And Here's a hat, kid. Yep. Here's your signing bonus. And signed the contract at Roy Rogers off of the Mass Pike nice, yeah. in, near Worcester. You've been by there a million times, I'm sure. But uh, went out, was with the Pirates. Had a, a decent spring training. You know, it was an extended spring. It was in the Gulf Coast League. But there were just so many players. How many catchers were above you? Oh, um, in the organization or the yeah, team? Yeah. You know. Um, 15? I mean, that's throughout the organization, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Probably. But, you know, and, and again, even though it was 15 catchers, you know, you know, two are prospects. The other thirteen are there to you know kind of play catch with the pot with the with the other prospects, but um, I got let go by the Pirates, came back, went right back to work in the the Twilight in the Tri County League, and because I, I still wanted to play. But and what year is this? This was in eighty in eighty eight. But you what know, made it, you think you you could still do it? Like what made you hang on to it? I and when I was the Pirates, I could see some of the stuff that I could do physically. Like I had some ability. Um, just didn't get a whole lot of a best, but I, I knew I, I could catch and throw. And like I said, a pretty good power. You know, hit in BP, I could hit the ball as far as anybody. You know, I remember it's a major league game. You're going to take BP and just, you know, hitting the ball out. That I could do. At, uh, you know, like they say, at five o'clock, I could hit the ball as far as anybody. You know, the lights <laughs> came on, not so much. But um, so, you know, reality kicks in, though. And like I said, my parents were so supportive. So at that point, I made the big move from, uh, you know, my bedroom to my parents' basement, <laughs> you know, but they supported me and I got a real job, if you will, at Cigna in Hartford huh. was an actuary. And because I, I did do very well in school. That's something that my parents preached and, you know, my boys do very well, but that, you know, the school part kind of came easy and I got a, I got a master's at Assumption. I took an extra year that, that worked out well. So I was an actuary at Cigna, which was a pretty cool job, but I knew I still wanted to play. So on June 20th of 89, I'm sitting at my desk about 12 noon, and I get a call from Ed Kenny, the Red Sox farm director. I said, Ray, we need a catcher. You still want to play? I said, absolutely. He says, are you ready to play? I said, I played last night you know, in a, in a, in a local league. I'm good to go. He said, good, because, uh, well, when can he – I figured it would be you know, New York Penn League or Gulf Coast League or something. He said, we need you in New Britain. He goes, when can he be there? That's double A. Double A. And I said, oh, about 20 minutes. <laughs> He's blown. He goes, well, what about your job? I said, like, I don't care. I'm what going. job? I'm going. So I went into my boss's office and I you know, explained to him. He goes, that's really cool. And, you know, he was such a nice man. He started going through the HR manual and said, hey, we can give you a leave of absence. We want you to do this. Go play. Just whatever times right, you know, come back or what have you. So I went and um, I got in a double. I played that night. There's a double header. And, uh, you know, that Friday we're playing Harrisburg Senators, which was, which was ironic because that was the Pirates affiliate. And so many of those guys, I looked across the field like I knew them from the Pirates. And they kind of looked at me and, you know, like kind of, what are you doing here? And it was neat because about 150 people from Signal went to the game. Oh, that's fun. And so, you know, I, I was in AA for a couple of weeks. Because, Did you find out why? Why they needed you? Like what happened? Yes. Specifically, um, Eric Wedge was a fourth-round pick out of Wichita State. Yeah, I remember him. He didn't sign right away. He was holding out. And Todd Pratt, who played sneaky, maybe 10, 12 years yeah. in the big leagues, had the big had the walk-off home run in the ALCS one year. He broke his hand. And so, you know, there I am. And uh, 
It was pretty cool. So I was there for about two weeks, and Pratt came back. And um, I got sent, you know, they want to keep me in the organization, so I got sent down to Winter Haven. And this kind of cool story, I'll, I'll say as, as quickly as I can, which I still struggle doing, but no problem. we played, played a game in New Britain, and the manager, um, it was Butch Hobson, said, you know, we're sending Mr. you Chips? Down. That's it. That's it. It was Butch. He said, "We're you know we're sending you down to Winter Haven, the Gulf Coast League," and at that time we had the Gulf Coast League and the Florida State League were in the, the same place. So um, I go down to Winter Haven, and that morning I'm playing a Gulf Coast League game on the AAA field, and um, see the man, Dave Holt, the manager of the Florida State League team, see him come down the hill from the big stadium in the golf cart. And I get called off the field. I'm catching. I get called off the field, and the manager says, "Hey Ray, you're you know, you're going you're going up." So the I got called up to high A, which was you know, metaphorically big, but literally a 150 yard move. But I played that night because John Flaherty, who played a long time, of the Yankees course. brought he broke his hand the night before. So I was in a lineup that So you're night. In, a, in in a spring training major league lineup game, or is that just in like a? Oh, that was I, no, no. He was in high A. High A. Oh, so you're playing in the Florida a. State League. Yeah, in Florida okay. State League. Okay. So it turns out where, in the span of a little over 24 hours, I played in games of three levels, which was kind of neat. Double A, low A, high A. Yep, yep. And that night, uh, I remember facing, um, of all people, Jack Morris pitched. Jack Morris? Jack Morris, he was rehabbing was from surgery. So he pitched in Lakeland. Mustache and all. Mustache and all. All of Famer. I ended up, I was two for three that night, ended up hitting a home run. Off of Jack Morris? Yeah. And Holy crap. Jack Morris did not care. Right, because he was just he was just, right. it's his forty throws. I kind of kid like he wasn't throwing that hard that night because he didn't want the sutures to come out. But you know he got his throwing in and left. But it was you know it was two for three. It was two for three. The home, and um, probably should have quit the game because that was my career highlight there that night. Probably it's incredible. <laughs> but, uh, Did you no, ever get in? By the way, did Morris get in the Hall of Fame? Yes, he's yeah. a Hall of Famer. I think two thousand eighteen. I think he went in. But I. Uh, the interesting part about that, and you're being very modest, though. I mean, that home run was your only professional home run. That with the Reds, yeah. With the Red Sox, yeah. yeah. So, by the way, we're talking with Ray Fagnant, who's the uh, Red Sox Northeast Regional Scout here on Fan Base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. <laughs> if if I could go back to one thing you said, you said you could hit the ball far, and then five o'clock hit the lights came on, and and what's the difference? You know, like what it was it pressure? Is it what is it? One hundred percent mental. I remember playing a big game at Assumption, and granted, it's, you know, it's college baseball, but it was a big game. And one of the players on the team, I said, "What's the matter?" He goes, "I'm, I'm just so nervous." And that was a concept I could not comprehend: being nervous in a game. Like that was fun. Like there was no situation in my career at any point in a college game, a summer college league game, where I was ever, ever nervous. And so I remember getting a pro ball and not being nervous. I wasn't nervous, but I was not confident. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't have that confidence. I can remember, for instance, that night, you know, two for three, my first game with the Red Sox. I'm thinking, oh, man, I can't, you know, I don't think I can do this tomorrow. You know, so, so, so much of it is mental. And then, you know, if you were to go to spring training, I'm sure you guys have been there. You see all the players in the field. They've all got ability. Everybody's got, everybody's got major league tools. Mm. Obviously, there's some, you know, the tools that are elite are, you know, the hitting. And when I mean hitting, I mean the ability to go up to the plate and get hits. That and guys that can pitch with command and control. But um, the physical tools, you know, everybody has them. Hmm. You know, if you were to see an, an, an infield practice or BP, you know, pick a couple of kids from low A, a couple of kids from rookie, some from double A, some triple A, some from the big leagues. You throw them out in BP or infield practice, you probably couldn't tell the difference because they're all, they all have those physical tools. But it's those that are, you know, and some are just born with the ability to hit that, you know, that you have. And some are just so confident. They know, you know, they can, they can have a, they can you know, throw up a one for 27 slump and they don't care. They yeah. know they're going to succeed. I remember talking to Rico Bronia about this and he said to the effect that people are like, oh, you're 500 bats a year. Like, what's an 0 for 4? He said, well, you go 0 for 4, and then you go 0 for 4 again. All of a sudden, you feel like you'll never get a hit Start ever, telling yourself you can't hit. Ever again. And the pressure mounts. So the, the fact that you have multiple at-bats doesn't change the fact that you still haven't gotten a hit 
and you're going up there thinking, I don't know if I can ever get a hit again. You mm-hmm. know, like when you put yeah. it in that framework, it can be positively frightening. Yeah, and I remember not playing every day. You know, you get a bat here, bat there. I come in on defense, get up. Oh, you know, hit a ball hard center field for, you know, an L8. And you don't play every day. You look up, man, I'm freaking, I'm one for 22. You know, that's when it, and I don't get a whole lot of a bat. So that's when the, the stats could really be skewed. But it's, uh, and you think about something you've done your entire life and it gets really hard all of a sudden if, if you let it. But that was the biggest thing to answer your question why in pro ball it was just completely, completely mental. Huh. But it's also, I mean, you, you if you're not getting the reps, I mean, it, you can take all the batting practices you want, but if you're not playing in games and seeing all that stuff, I mean, Bobby Dickerson is a perfect example. He's a friend of mine. He's a, he's a major league coach now, and he was kind of in the same situation. He would be the, the back end of a doubleheader guy. He'd come in, he'd play utility infielder, wasn't playing all the time. Someone would get hurt. He'd get a string read play for two weeks, and you had to make the best of it, and you'd always look up on that on the Jumbotron, and his average was – Nowhere as near where it probably should have been, but he was that standout in college. He was a really great player. But like you said, you get there and everybody's a stud around you. Bobby, so it's hard. You just dropped a Bobby Dickerson on me. Yeah. Of course, of course I have a story with him. Yeah. I'd love to hear this. We're playing double A. We're playing Hagerstown. And I remember Al Sanders is pitching. He got to triple A, good pitcher. But he gives up a hit and he gives up a home run. And the, the hitter really pimped it. Eric Wedge was on the team. This was the second game of doubleheader. He caught the first game. And so, uh, yeah, I can say it now at this point. Yeah. Eric said, you got to drill somebody. You got to drill somebody. So Bobby Dickerson's batting. And we hit him. He's a good dude. Kind of didn't know what to do. He can get mad. But I get up right away because catcher's job. You just you get up and get in front yeah, of him. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, hey, Eric, what do we do here? And so he starts getting a little aggressive. So I just remember like, and I could hear it. It's coming. The bench is empty. Because every team's got every team got one or two guys that are looking for that, and the bench is empty. Next thing you know, I am face down on a pile. <laughs> I'm Bobby Dickerson, and he's pounding on you. It just I'm on top of him, okay. but it's just, it's just a pile. It's just a swarm. I mean, it just and I could hear it. And it was a, a big night in New Britain. I don't know why, but there were maybe 7,500 people, or maybe fireworks or something. There's 7,500 people in the stands. It's a huge brawl, you know, 25 people in a pig pile. I can hear my mother. I can pick <laughs> up my mother and my sister in the stands. And you're, you're giving Dickerson I'm on the bottom shots. of the pile. And, like, it's just, it, it was, it's bizarre, but it's just, you know, small world, man. And every once in a while I'll see a Bobby Dickerson reference on Instagram because he does some good defensive, yeah. he does some neat stuff, but um, it's a small world. Yeah. Base, base and by the way, you, what are you, 58? What are you? Uh, yes, now I am. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and you I wouldn't mess with you now. Obviously, you could still throw down on the bench. And so, wait, when next time you talk to Bobby, I mean, so you— Well, I'm going to send him this clip. You took a few you took a few shots at him. Well, it's, I don't know. just we're at the bottom of the pile. So, I, at the end of the day, it looked cool. <laughs> you know, First of all, you do it. You have to protect your team. So, Bobby's a good guy. You know, I'm in the lineup. I don't want to get, get suspended or anything, you right. know? So— it's just we just you know ended up in that pig pile. Oh my so. God, that's well, it's crazy, yeah. you know. Me dropping that name is something that's it, it, it's unique to you know, sports in general, but I think baseball, right? You know, everybody knows everybody. Everybody you know. knows everybody. You know, when we when we were you and I met for the first time face to face last summer, right? I'd known your son since he was probably ten years old, playing against my son in all star tournaments and stuff, but I never even realized I watched you play in Double A against the Albany Colony Yankees, and I didn't know that until somehow I was just lumbering through some stuff in the basement, and I found an old scorecard, and your name popped up on it. And, like, you know, what are the chances of that? You and know? that's when you became friends with Bobby Dickerson. At the same time, Bobby. 1989. Interesting. And I am not 100% certain he's who he hit, but I know he's who I ended up in the big battle with. <laughs> <laughs> I know Al Sanders threw it. Oh, but, that's funny. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with that's Ray funny. Fagnett, the uh, Northeast Regional Scout for the Boston Red Sox. So going back to your story, you get um, those cups of coffee – you know, in, in, in the minors, when do you make the transition out of being a player? What well, was, you know, 90, I was in New Britain, or 90 was in Florida State League, 91 up in New Britain. And so, you know, 92 in spring training, one of the coaches asked, hey, Ray, do you throw a good batting practice? So I knew, okay, I'm not going to catch you. I'm not going to be catching Fenway. But I think they recognized that, you know, I kind of knew the game pretty well and wanted to stay around. And one thing that helped me was backup catcher, you catch a lot of bullpens. So the pitchers got really comfortable throwing to me. 
And and so one in particular, Paul Quantrill, who had a good career, maybe uh, yeah. I mean 14, 15 years. Yeah, I remember when he was drafted by the Sox. Yeah, yeah. He he liked throwing at me. So I think he helped kind of keep me around a little bit because he was pitching. I got to catch him. Hmm. And the irony there, you go full circle, his son Cam, we had on our East Coast Pro and Area Code team when he was a prospect. So, you know, one, you know, we, we have the East Coast Pro showcase up in Syracuse. And I caught his son, I caught one of his son's bullpens, and Paul was in the stands. Said, "Paul, I've gone full cycle, you know, full circle. That's incredible. I've caught two generations of Quantrill bullpens, but you know, they kind of knew I wanted to be around the game. So you were still playing. Well, I and got released. So okay. the last, I guess, theory, you know, spring, spring training in '92. So the last year playing was '91, and so I was back at Cigna again. And that's when um, I still want to play. I had something in the works with. Um, I've been talking to the White Sox. It's something that works with a, an independent team in affiliated baseball, which doesn't exist anymore, but this is before the Indy Leagues. But there was an independent a co-op team in Salinas, California, in the Cali League. I was going to go play there. But I got a job. I got a call, rather, from uh, Bill Enos, longtime Red Sox scout, you know, 55 years in the game. And he asked me if I was interested in scouting because he was retiring, and he kind of handpicked me. And how, how did he – How did? He signed me, and he kind of recognized that, you know, I'm sure I got good reports from the managers in as much as in spite of my stats, um, you know, I, I, I guess it was, you know, valuable to have around, you know, because, you know, it was a struggle for me to get there. Um, so it's pretty good in the clubhouse. But in terms of, you know, catching, I, some, I thought I had some pretty good aptitude, was good in the bullpen. In fact, after the year in 91, like the, butch, uh, the manager there was Gary Allenson, and the farm director, they had me write reports he was a on the pitchers. Too, right? He was, he was a, a catcher. catcher too. They had me write reports on the pitchers, and so, um, I, you know, they recognized. Like I said, they recognized I wanted to stay in the game. And you know, Bill had signed me, watched me play a lot at Assumption, and thought it'd be a good replacement for him. And so but that's, that's when touching. I, I have to tell you that, like that, that's a testament to you. I don't know you from Adam before I met you today, but like for somebody to go out of their way and think of you like that without you, I mean, that's. There can't be any higher compliment, in my opinion. And every day I think about what, you know, what I have in baseball, which has kind of, kind of defined my life in a little bit. It's because of Bill Enos and also because of Bob Whalen, who signed me originally. And you know, they were both very, good, very competitive, but very good friends. So it's just uh, – and I think it's all just from you know, passion of the game and just loving to play. So that's you know that's how we ended up in scouting. Did you ever see yourself in that role, or were you looking to stay in the game and be, become a coach or a manager? Because I know a lot of catchers make that transition very easily because of the stuff you talked about, familiarity with the players, the pitchers, and that kind of stuff. I just you, you never think about when you're when you're actually playing. You don't ever think about your career afterwards. Um, but now I is just, that a good or a bad thing? I guess a little both because you just envision yourself playing forever. But you get a little bit realistic when you start looking at the stats. And, uh, you know, I knew it at, at one point I knew, you know, I wasn't playing the big leagues. But, but you want, you knew you wanted to stay in the game. I absolutely knew I wanted to stay in the game. So I remember calling my wife. We weren't yet married at that point, but calling her and saying, you know, Billy Ness from the Red Sox called me. She knew who he was. And she got it. You know, I told her they want to give me a scouting job. And she said, this is perfect. And, again, this is her, you know, just the smartest human being I've ever met. But just And just knowing you know, knowing what's going on, she said, "Well, I'm very sorry, but congratulations." Like she got it. Like this is at some point in time, you know, you're gonna stop playing. Like I talk about this a lot. Um, very few people retire. David Ortiz retired. Derek Jeter retired. You know, of, of course, you know Yadi Molina. There's a lot of others, but everybody else, no matter how good you are, mm -hmm. one day somebody tells you you can't play anymore. They. That's true, by the way, in my business, too. I mean, it's, it's very few people choose their ending. It's usually chosen for you. In media, it's 100% true. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that's, that's pretty fascinating. And I also think that I'm sorry and congratulations. I mean, she knew if she knew you were the one then, she was staring down the barrel of, of having her husband or her boyfriend gone a lot. Yeah, and that she was, knew that. That's uh, a huge commitment. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that is a point where she could have been like, I don't think this is right for you. Right. Let's, you know, this, this, I want a family. So you got yourself a very supportive woman. Yes. That's for yeah. sure. It's an interesting side story there. I remember shortly before our wedding, and my wife told me this, you know, after the fact, we still talk about it. Well, I believe one of her uncles, who kind of knew the game a little bit, pulled her aside and said, you know what you're getting into. 
you know, so he knew and she knew. So it's just, you know, she's been, she's the only reason I'm still doing this unequivocally. And, you know, the timing was, the timing was perfect too, because we met, you know, we weren't married yet in the first couple of years. We weren't married and she was finishing up law school and her degree. So, she, you know, she was, had something, you know, she had something else going on, you know, so her time, her extra time was occupied, if you will, by getting a law degree and a really good job. And um, it was all those, you know, those long, those long trips, but it's, you know, it's a tremendous concession and sacrifice on her part, but she's been so immensely supportive. Mm -hmm. And she knew from, you know, the day I met her from our first romantic date at the batting cages <laughs> back in Worcester, Mass. You know, that's literally, that's, you know, that was our first date. That's a good first date, though. Ice my, cream, little hitting. My first date was first Burger date. King and in the batting cages, and I married her, too. There you go. So Burger King. Hi, Burger King. I was a big spender in high school, man. <laughs> <laughs> That is phenomenal. Uh, Ray Fagnant, who's the Northeast Regional Scout for the Boston Red Sox. I mean, we could talk for days, but I think, you know, as we go along with the progression here, so you take Mr. Enos's job as Regional Scout, and this is 1993. This is my first year scouting, yep. And so... And this is the same position now, 30 years later. Yes. Uh-huh, which I'm happy with. Uh-huh. Well, there's a couple questions yeah. there, but I don't want to get to it yet. Like, why uh-huh. not do other stuff? But I want to get to that, but... To me, you know, I I read Michael Lewis's book in was it two thousand three? I think is when I read it, and I felt like I was on the ground floor. When did you read it, John? I mean, did you read Moneyball? Yeah, I don't you? read books, dude. I watch the movie. Okay, so you <laughs> Brad Pitt you was enough aware. for me. Well, I, I you know I I love baseball too. I couldn't hit a curveball, and I was a lefty with no control, so my career was over very early, and I took up tennis. Um, but I I love baseball. I always have, and so. They they really satirize the scout in the movie, especially you know with the old guys with the hearing aids and the looking for Fabio. He plays for Seattle, but somehow you s- survived the transition. And so I guess I, I'm curious to start. What was the job like pre 2000, and how different is it now? You know, it's interesting. That movie was very polarizing. A lot of ways, like you said, the depiction of quote old scouts was really borderline insulting. And you were offended inaccurate. by it. You were offended by it. Yeah, it was offensive to these, you know, fictitious men. But you know, yeah, they're old, you know, hearing aids. Like it was just, it was, it was very bizarre. And I know several scouts with the A's. You do too. You mentioned you know, and, Tommy Clark. Yeah, yeah, but it's just that was it was almost yeah almost satire. But like I told somebody, the guy that signed Babe Ruth probably looked at his stats. Nobody in the history of baseball has ever signed somebody without you know doing some digging, doing some research. You know, even I remember one year doing an open trial camp up in Bangor, Maine, and finding some kid who he had a lot of physical ability. You know, you can sign him just based on the physical ability, but it's imperative just do a little. You know, what kind of baseball background does he have? Good, bad, or different? It's important to know. But you know, the stats have always been around. And, you know, being a math geek, you know, a master's in math and, you know, I was an actuary. Like, my friends and I playing Stratomatic Baseball back when we were 12 years old. That's a rough game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we were coming up with statistics, my friends and I, you know, 20 years before Bill James wrote his books. So, you know, the stats weren't that much. And a lot of the stats now, it's, hey, let's take this one, divide it by that one. We got a new stat. It sounds cool. But... So your perspective wasn't surprised, but the no. the nature of the game changed. Like what was asked of you didn't change at all. Um, there was a lot deeper dive into stats, but um, I think where quote I think analytics is such a big blanket statement that's thrown over everything. You know, to me, analytics isn't somebody's well batting average, and we progress to OPS, and we got woba, then we, you know, then we progress to x woba. A defensive warp and all that stuff, but to me, that's that's stats. The analytics is some of the sophisticated systems we have, where we've got a video technology information system. Where, um, say, there's a, a hitter that I like, and we're kind of questioning his ability to hit a fastball. Well, I can go in, I can query. We'll look at fastball counts. I can look at every fastball. This guy in a 2-0, situation. Just by clicking a few buttons. Clicking a few buttons. Every fastball, every pitch in a fastball situation, be, uh, you know, above 92, um, and I can pull it up and I can see his video. It's, it's interesting because I showed it to somebody and they said, this is remarkable, but 
it, well, it goes to show how close theoretically you are to being obsolete, but somebody's got to identify the players. And at the end of the day, somebody can say that, well, their, their ex-WOBA against fastballs between 92 and 97 and a fastball count is X. All right, well, I think part of it is my job to say, well, why do I think it can improve or why do I think he's not a prospect? Or you, you still always need that degree of evaluation. Like, can, it, can we work with this guy? With is, is he teachable? Yeah. That kind of stuff. It's huge. And you, I'm glad you just hit on that word because there's no statistic for teachable. And it's such an important, it's so important, as important than ever to know the personality and the makeup and the background and the family and, you know, do that, do that digging. It's getting to know these guys. It's huge. And but, go ahead. How, how important, I mean, you say it's important, but how important is, have you ever went to like an ultimate extreme to get, to find the character of a, a person you're evaluating? Like, have you went and contacted, you know, the babysitter or, you know, that babysat this kid when he was. 12 years old or was he you know that kind of stuff or did you talk to like the the high school gym teacher or something like that wasn't his coach that kind of stuff well dave dombrowski said if you didn't talk to the school janitor you didn't do your homework and i remember watching um (laughs) a player pedro alvarez played a long time in the big leagues and it was at the horace mann school in in the bronx and i went to the restroom between innings and i see the high school custodian and i said ask about pedro alvarez (laughs) And I did, literally. I asked him, he had some good information. But my favorite story, a picture, oh, I, I remember every detail, but I'm, freak, I'm blanking his name now, but he's up in New Hampshire. This was about 10 years ago. He got to the big leagues, but I was at the game early, and there was some, you know, school had gotten out, and there were some kids, you know, in the back of the school on skateboards. You know, they had all the piercings. You know, God bless them. They were doing their thing. But, you know, they look like good kids, but I went over. And I said, hey, do you know, it's, I, you can probably find him, but I forget his name. I said, I'm just curious. I said, I'm a baseball scout. I don't know you, you don't know me, but I'm just, this is all anonymous. I said, do you know such and such? And he looked at me and said, yeah, we know him. And he said, obviously, you know, we don't hang out with him, but he's a good kid because he, he says hi to us, treats us with respect. And that stood out. That went a long way. But it's, it's things like that and, and talking to people around him or all of the events we run like the East Coast Pro or, you know, the area codes or the summer rivalry where we are in uniform in the dugout with these kids. You know, we I remember vividly being in Lakeland at Tigertown, the East Coast Pro. You know, Mike Trout was on our team. And there was a shortstop. It's after the third inning. He comes up to me and said, hey, coach, am I good? I said, yeah, you're a pretty good player. What do you mean? He goes, no. Hey, I'm being sarcastic, but I knew what he meant. He goes, no, am I good? I said, what do you mean good? He goes, well, I played my three innings. I said, do you want to play more? He goes, no, I think I'm all set. Jeez. And I said, hey, somebody go and play short. So Trout, great. Oh, coach, I wasn't on my get, – get, get to center, but get out there. And so, so Trout was like, I'll go play short. Yeah, I'll go play short. Yeah, yeah and then I'll go play short. You immediately wrote the other guy off. Oh, and so some somebody grabs their globe. Coach, can I play short? I said, yeah, go out there. So I could see it register in that player's face. I just, you know, I just – Just shot myself up. in the foot. But it – Long story short, he got drafted out of high school, did not sign, went to a big school, was a pretty high pick, was out of the game in two years. And there was just that was just an instant, instant mm. red flag. Whereas Trout, and again, it's it's you know, Trout, iconic generational player. That's the easy one to point out. But we knew him well before he was that generational player because we had him on our we had him on our scout teams. And, you know, longtime scout, a Connecticut guy, Greg Moorhart. I'm sure you know the name. He scouted yeah. for a lot of teams. He played with his dad, the Miners. He played with his dad, Jeff, who was a, a really good two-sport athlete, University of Delaware, who got up to AAA. And so he, you know, his sophomore year, he, he you know, he said, hey, I'll bring him to our workout. A pretty good kid. But we got to know him at an early age. And not in a million years could I have told you he's going to be a Hall of Famer and an iconic generational talent. But I could have said, I guess the best thing you can say about a player at that point is this guy's an everyday big leaguer. And those are big words from an amateur scout, you know, when you're in high school. Because you don't want to put that out there and be wrong. Well, you don't, I've learned more and more, they really, you know, they'd rather you be aggressive and be wrong. You know, that was Dave Dombrowski's big thing. He says, if I ask you a question, give me an answer. I don't care if it's wrong, but just be convicted. But just putting the label of an everyday major league player, like that's, that's really good. And so I went to see him, you know, we had him at all our events, and I went to see him play basketball. Um, you know, senior year in the winter. And they're pl- I walked in the gym in Millville. They're playing St. Augustine's prep. 
and there's not a kid under 6'5". Four of the guys are going on to play Division One basketball, and the one that wasn't was six foot five, going to play tight end at Penn State. And Mike Trout at six feet tall, maybe, was the center, and he just battled for 32 minutes like I've never yeah. seen. I, and I, that said that said an awful lot about him. Yeah, Scott. I, I I talked to a lot of scouts in a lot of different sports, and they they see a lot. And I tell my kids, you know, what you do in the outside the sport that you're known for matters, and little things matter. Mm-hmm. And if if you're a running back who's getting recruited, and you're lazy as a safety, that matters. I mean, all that stuff matters. You back checking in hockey, but I want to go back to one quick thing here. We're talking with Ray Thagnant, who's the Northeast Regional Scout for the Red Sox. And because I want to sort of stay on point, you talked about how, uh, you know, being listened to. But I guess my point is with with the intangibles and the data, and you have a really good answer. But is it still being listened to by the Blooms and the Breslows and the De Podestas of the world? I think it is because ultimately, again, now it's um, the best general managers, the best scouting directors scouting directors can take all the information and just combine it, make a decision. It's just that we have more information than ever before. So you just don't want to ever have information overload, but just you look at what's important. But it's just there is so much more information. Um, And again, go back to the information. And like I said, when I talk analytics, I mean that specific stuff they can look at that involves like a, a, not just statistical, but a baseball talent component. Um, I asked the scouting director, you know, I, I really I'm not like, trying to get you to like knock on Bloom and Breslow. I'm just, oh, no. worried, I'm wondering if across the baseball world, if the intangible elements are still respected by the people who make the decisions above. I think it is because two years ago, um, Brian O'Halloran, you know, then the, the, was the Red Sox. His title was GM. Uh, we traded for a player and he called me, you know, anytime you see your cell phone, you say general manager, <laughs> you know, but he called me and said, um, Ray, we're looking for we're looking to trade for this guy, and he was an amateur in your area, your area. And I read your background report, and what a background report is: we have the player evaluation, then the background report is specific questions about their makeup, their attitude, their family, their work ethic, their discipline, things like that. And he said, "We read your background report, and it stood out because the grades on that were higher than anyone, you know, any of the other ones we've read." So. That was a general manager looking at a background report. From X amount of years ago. From too. when he was an amateur. And you hope character really doesn't change. You know, but that's you know, that, that was that was interesting. That meant a lot to me. So I really think they do. And you know, when I had I had my uh performance appraisal a couple weeks ago, and you know, Devin Pearson, the scouting director, who we love, you know, asked me, Ray, what do you think he needs to work on? And I said, well, just some, getting some admin stuff in. He goes, specifically, I, my, my background reports. Because I said, I know these players, but I kind of procrastinated a little bit, you know, getting the background reports in. And specific to your question, he said, yeah, just make sure you do that because when we're going through these reports in the offseason, you know, when I know you got some good players in, you know, Brez is going to want to, you know, he'll look at the evaluation, but the next thing he's going to go to is a background report. So to answer your question, absolutely. And, you know, a quick anecdote about, makeup and, and background, like I'll tell players, um, I don't make the decision on whether we take you or not. But a lot of times I kind of make the decision on whether we don't take you. And I was at the draft one year in Secaucus at MLB Studios. And I think this was 2011 when UConn had the big year with Springer, Barnes, Ahmed. They had seven players drafted in the three first rounders. But I was in the hotel. I was actually, I was on the bus. We were leaving the hotel. I was on the bus. And I'm looking around. And within 10, 12 feet of me, you know, there's four or five Hall of Famers. You know, we're going over the studio because, you know, they have a team representative and a, a player legend. And so the phone rings and it was Amiel Sade, who, was, who at that time was our scouting director. And so he said, Ray, get somewhere quiet. I'm going to call you in 60 seconds. So I go back in the hotel. I go in the corner. Phone rings. And he goes, he, he says, OK, Ray, we've got John Henry, Larry, Larry Lucchino, Tom Werner here. we got the whole front office. You're on conference call. Uh, we picked, I don't know, maybe 14 or 17, I forget. But he said, we got three players lined up with our pick that we think will be there. And one of them was Matt Barnes. And it's a good story because he's a local kid. He said, Matt Barnes, yes or no, right now. And I, and they weren't, you know, it wasn't talents. Because, you know, we had these guys slotted. If we didn't take him, we had somebody that we thought at that point was the ability was similar. 
They said, Matt Barnes, yes or no? And that is a 100% makeup, background, personality, character question. And I said, yes, I'm 100% in. And we ended up taking him. And he had a heck of a career with the Red Sox. You know, he's healthy now. I hope he continues to pitch well for three or four more years. But it's fourth all-time in appearances with the Red Sox. But that's when I that's a story that I tell sometimes to tell these players how important, you know, the, the character, the makeup is. And sometimes it does come down to the area guy. Yeah. Like that. But uh, I don't think I ever told Matt that story, but mm. You know, I met with him over the winter at his at his at his home. I, I saw how he interacted with his little brother and his parents. He's great at games. You know, I mean, he's a projected first round pick, but he still went out of his way. He had time to talk to me, and to see how he competed it was just he had, you know, it helped that he threw ninety eight, but he just had all the components. But the character was the big part, and the GM, the front office, really looks at that. So again, here, short story long, yes. Uh, Craig Breslow will be looking at my background reports, and so did Heim, and so did Dave Dabrowski before him. It's an important part of it. Dave especially was huge on personality and character and makeup of these yeah, guys. Of course, he's less of a data guy. He's a, he's a gut guy. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you talked about Barnes and being a New England guy and you being the Northeast scout and from this area. Obviously, your job over the last I'd say 20 years, but especially the last 10 years, has probably become a lot more involved. And when I mean involved, I mean there's more people, there's more focus on this area. Back in the day, you know, it was probably, oh, I'll go to the University of Maine and play, right? Now it's UConn. Now it's these Division three schools, these Division two schools in the area that people are, you know, and, and high schools and prep schools. I guess In 94, my buddy played at Harvard. They didn't even have a full-time baseball coach. Right. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. like even like you heart, they were like up until like even like three years ago, they were busting their kids to batting practice. They didn't mm-hmm. even have stuff on the feet mm-hmm. at, the, at the campus. But I guess my question is, how much more important is your air, your area that you cover now? It's it, I mean, I feel like it's got to be way more important than it was 20 years ago. It is. And you just you have to know everybody because they end up places for a reason. And now more so than ever with the transfer portal, you know, guys just show up somewhere. Um there was a picture last year, Ryan Bouchard, uh, Niagara County Community College. How he ended up there, I don't know. But he's there, comes out throwing 97. But it's there can be somebody everywhere. It's not like football. There's, you know, and I, I follow college football in the sense that, you know, um, like the process. I'm interested in these D2s and these D3s kind of as a just, you know, how it kind of relates or is similar or dissimilar to baseball. But Baseball, you know, more than any sport, you know, there's a long list of Division Two and Three and JUCO and NAIA players that are at a school for a particular reason because I think baseball, I think it's fair to say baseball more so than basketball or football is more of a skill sport where you can really develop. If you're not 6'5", 300 pounds, you're not playing line at a power five. Right. If you're not 6'7", 6'9", you're not playing Division One basketball. But um, you can be five foot seven Dustin Pedroia and you can be you know any literally any size and you can you can develop we see that a lot this is a really interesting topic because I I have a son who's a JVer who basically got pushed out of baseball and and I see little leagues are decimated because it's a pay-to-play sport Mm -hmm. so what's interesting to me you're probably I'm sure that you're right but at the same time the pool is smaller and what disappoints me I guess like my son like played JV and he wasn't a pro- it wasn't a recruited kid so he didn't play a lot and he got the same thing that happened to you in the minors he would get a an at bat he's a, he was a kid who never hit for power but never struck out and if you give him five at bats a game he's gonna get on base three times even you know, whatever and but it, it hit, getting one at bat a game he never could do anything and now he's gonna play golf you know and so I think about the the players you talk about that's true you can be a late bloomer you don't have to fit a certain template of size but at the same time like the game. I feel like the game has been hurt by the pay-to-play culture, which you both are involved in, yeah. and it's helped both of your children. Well, we talked about this. You know, my my son wants to play in college. Your son just committed to play D one, and your Wait, other your kid- other son, you where's he going? He's going to University of Richmond, and I'll tell you that was a battle. Um, as he's to be perf- to be very objective as a baseball scout. He's and again, he's the third. The third one always gets the benefit of all the BP and chasing yeah. all the balls. The other ones, right. but. You know, and again, small town. He's playing varsity as a freshman, but he's 500 as a freshman. You know, was all state, first team all state last year, and just stood out at the East Coast Pro and the area codes and the PG National. And this August, we just get back from the uh, the the the, the uh, area codes, 
He said, Dad, I just, he's a left-hand hitter. I just faced a low-slot lefty throwing 96 and hit a missile to right field. And there's all these six-foot-four, beautiful-bodied athletic kids punching out five times, and they're the prospects. And I said, hey, well, that's reality. I said, at the end of the day, wait on the line, the end game, you know, the talent, the, the game rewards a talent at the end. But the re- recruiting is just, it's it's painful nowadays because if you're you, you're exactly it if you don't fit that template you know you're going to all these showcases if you don't fit that template you don't have the good exit velocity off the tee and you know the big thing on instagram if you're not you know at one of these cages you know throwing 98 on your your pull downs with right. all your buddies yelling in the background and you run and crow hop and throw a ball 98 against a screen like that's you're not getting a lot of attention but you're you are absolutely right so but how do you how do you, how do you how do you separate yourself from the scout to the parent and deal with that as your son? Because I know my son is good enough to play D three baseball. Now it might not be like Eastern Connecticut; it could be you know a, a lower D three, but he doesn't fit the six foot mold. I've had many camps where the coaches won't even look at him when he's in the box, even though he's had talking to your son. I remember watching him when he was ten years old, and I could tell just by his swing that he had the tools. Like the kid could could play, and then as he got older, and I watched him, you could clearly see that he had the talent but he's not a big kid he's well built but he's not six foot two 108 pounds so how do you as you're going through this process and it's getting later and later and later Mm -hmm. and he doesn't commit how do you change yourself from the scout evaluating your kid to being a father and telling him hang in there it's going to get better but maybe knowing that it might not get better based on what we just talked about it was hard as a parent because it was persistence because what i would deal with all the time or people would just assume you know, that he was on any of these teams because he's my son. And we're out at the PG National in Arizona in July. And I have to cover it, but I'm there kind of watching him too. And he's one of four guys in New England that's there. And, you know, again, he's facing some big right-hander, you know, 94. His first at bat line drive, base it up the middle. And somebody comes up to him after the game, hey, James, nice hit. And, like, I, my son looked at him, and I think he wanted to deck him because it was almost so – I don't want to say condescending. Uh, it was, okay, I'll say it was completely condescending. Who was well, it? Was it a coach or a scout or it, was it a, um, a it was fan? A, it was a parent. And it's almost like, wow, you're here because your dad's here. Wow, you got a hit off this kid. He's good. And he was I mean, he was mad. Yeah. And But that's got to be that tough for him too, though, because really he's, he's, he's a smart kid. And he knows yeah. that people are he probably knew. thinking that way. So, you know. It was late. It was late August. It's late August, and he doesn't have anything yet. In spite of being so proactive about reaching out to these coaches and everything, but I just told them. I mean, we're yeah. Part of it too, which kind of helps, is you know, kind of you know, our family of faith. So we figure you keep working, something's gonna pan out. And he had some you know D three options, which are awesome. He had some really good ones, and I'd always tell him that it doesn't matter where you play, as long as you play. But you know, a couple of schools right at the end. And it was almost like I was telling you, just being persistent, getting on the phone and calling these guys and kind of saying, hey, I did I did X, Y, and Z at these events. Um, what's your story? What do you got? And part of it is, you know, some of these schools I was watching, like I tell, you know, he'd tell me, Dad, I can play that right now. I said, listen, I know you can, but you know you're not 6'4", and you did not run a 6'360". <laughs> so it's just persistence, but, it, you know, it it's – you know, there there is a correlation. There's a crossover from being the dad to the scout. And as a scout, obviously, our, our job is to our jo- we have one job to sign major leaguers. But I've taken more enjoyment, got more satisfaction out of signing some guy that you know. Obviously, you want to sign big leaguers, but you recognize that they will have organizational value, and you recognize these kids like it's their dream to play. And because I was kind of that guy. And you don't, by no means do you ever lower your standards, but you, you might look at these guys a second or third or fourth time. Because, you know, some scout, or I guess in any profession, you could be that, you know, contrary and just negative where, uh, you know, instead of looking for why guys can't play, look at things that why they can play. What can this guy do? And so um, those are the guys that you want to sign that you think they've got a chance. And at the, at the end of the day, the game rewards – I mean, you know, Dustin Pedroia has got a ton of ability. Jose Altuve is a Hall of Famer. You know, there's a lot of those players that, first of all, they have immense ability. But I'm wondering nowadays if Jose Altuve or Dustin Pedroia showed up at one of these showcases at five foot six, you know, what would their ranking be on, on the internet? Right. Or would you they know, just be turned around and get back in the car? Template. You know, 
So obviously these guys have worldly Hall of Fame ability, but I think some people would have missed it because, oh, he's not 6'3", or he's not that 6'1", middle infield that runs a 6'4", so I'm going to look at somebody else that ran a good 60 because I can read a stopwatch. I can't evaluate ability, but I can read a stopwatch. So at the end, at the way, way at the end, the game does reward the ability, but it can be awfully frustrating to get there and, and more so frustrating as a parent to watch your child. I'm not going to say struggle, but – Meet these biases, I guess. Yeah. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to split this into two, Ray, because this is too good. Uh, and so we're, we're going to wrap this up for episode 139, and then we'll come back with 140, and we'll talk about with Ray why he's still scouting all these years later. And also we have some fun rapid-fire questions about baseball for him as well. He's Ray Fagnan. He's the Northeast Regional Scout for the Boston Red Sox. John Senecal, Brian Shackman. You've been listening to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now, with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.